0: Amen. Amen. All right, we're there in Nehemiah, chapter number six, and of course, uh, today is a uh, special service. We've been talking about it. It's the last day of the year, and it happens to fall on a Sunday, not only the last Sunday of the year, but the last day of the year, and I'm glad that you're spending it in the house of God uh, with God's people. And... uh, Usually around this time, I like to preach something uh, regarding the upcoming year, the new year, try to preach on the, sub- on the subject of having a good new year, and I'd like to continue that tradition this morning. And what I'd like to talk about this morning is three principles from the Bible, uh, three high-performance principles. And uh, I'm not going to talk too much about goals or things like that, although I've preached on goals, uh, and and I'm not against that. Uh, But I'd like to speak on the subject of having a high-performance life. And one thing that I've noticed uh, in life is that some people seem to accomplish more than others. Some people seem to do more than others. Some people seem to have a life that is more effective than others, and I've done my best to look at individuals like that, study lives like that, read books about lives like that, and, and, and try to figure out, because I don't know about you, I don't, I don't want to waste my life. Uh, one life is all we have, and we want to use it for the glory of God, of course. And I'd like to speak to you this morning on this subject of high performance, a high performance life, and I want to give you three principles, three principles that I believe if you will take these to heart, if you will learn these and apply these in the coming year, you could have the best year uh, that uh, you've ever had. I hope that 2023 is a good year for you. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Uh, the good thing is that it's coming to an end, and we are able to start afresh. So I'd like to give you these thoughts this morning, and I'll give them to you as quickly as we can. We're here in Numbers chapter 6, and Numbers, uh, excuse, excuse me, Nehemiah chapter 6. I'm stuck with Numbers. That's another series. Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6 is actually one of my favorite passages Uh, in the Bible. It's a passage that I often think about. Here in verse 1, the Bible says this, now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arabian, notice these words, and the rest of our enemies. So these are the bad guys. We We have Nehemiah, who's the good guy, and I'm not necessarily preaching on the subject of Nehemiah this morning, but if you are familiar with the book of Nehemiah, you know that Nehemiah It's one of the captives that has returned to Jerusalem and he is being used of God to build the wall. The wall has been destroyed around the city. Nehemiah is being used of God to rally the people, to motivate and mobilize the people, to do a great work to build the wall. And here we're told that Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arabian, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall. And let me just say this, anytime you try to accomplish something for God, there will be those who try to oppose you. There will be those who try to stop you. There will always be the enemies of the work of God that are going to try to hinder you from doing uh, that work. Notice there in verse 1, and that there was no breach left therein. He says that his enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach. The word breach means gap or break left therein, though at the time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. Notice verse 2. Then Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, now I want you to notice, what Nehemiah is telling us. Nehemiah is telling us that he was engaged in a work. He was doing something uh, important for God. He was fulfilling God's will for his life. And then these individuals who I, he identifies as the enemies of the work of God, Sanballat and Gisham, sent unto me saying, come, let us meet together. He's, they said, come, let us meet together in some of the villages in the plain of Ono. Now, they're, they're just inviting him. They're saying, Come, let us meet together. I don't know exactly what that invitation entailed. Maybe they said, let's get together for lunch. Maybe they said, let's get together for a cup of coffee. They said, let's, uh, let, let's uh, spend some time together. But they send this request, sent them to me saying, come, let us meet together in some one of the villages of the plain of Ono. And then, of course, Nehemiah, having discernment, says, but they thought to do me mischief. I want you to notice verse 3. Verse 3, like I said, is one of my favorite Verses in the Bible, it's a verse that I think of often. Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 3, And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? I want you to notice that Nehemiah here, having discernment from God, understands that the enemies of the work of God at best want to distract them from the work that God has called them to do, and at worst want to stop the work that God wants them to do. They sent unto me, he says, saying, come let us meet together. Simple request. They said, let's meet together. Let's get together for lunch. Let's get together for coffee. Let's get together. Uh, for dessert. Let's get together and and, and spend some time together. And he understands that they thought to do a mischief, but I love the response that Nehemiah gives. The response that he gives is, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. And in this response, we see the first principle of a high-performance life, the first principle of a high-performance individual. And if you're taking notes, and I do encourage you to take notes, on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some things. Maybe you can jot these down. The first principle of having a life that matters is the high performance principle of priority. The high performance principle of priority. I want you to notice that Nehemiah here has his priorities right. Right? He understands what it is that he is supposed to do. He understands what it is that God has called him to do. He understands what it is that he's supposed to be accomplishing with his life. And he says, look, I appreciate the invitation. Look, I appreciate the offer. Look, I appreciate the opportunity. And he says, but I must kindly decline. He says, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. He said, I am doing what God has called me to do. I am doing what God has sent me to do. I am doing what God has in store for me to do. I believe that this is one of the reasons why Nehemiah goes down in history as one of the greatest men in the Bible and one of the greatest men of history. Why? Because he understood what it was that he was supposed to do, and he did that. He was a high-performance individual because he had his priorities straight. If you and I are going to live lives of high performance, if we're going to live lives that we get to the end of our lives and we are accomplished, we are effective, we can, like the Apostle Paul say at the end of his life, I have finished my course, then we're going to have to uh, decide and figure out and, and apply this idea in our lives of being a high performance of the high performance principle of priority. And you've got to ask yourself this question. And this is the question that maybe will help you to clarify. What is it that I'm supposed to be doing? What are the priorities in my life? And here's a question that you should ask yourself. What one thing should I focus on in this season of life that I cannot do later? What is the one thing that God has for me right now that cannot be done Later on, if you're going to answer this question, and I, I believe in these clarifying questions, I think sometimes it's good for us to just have these questions that bring clarity because there's so much clutter to life. Wouldn't you agree that there's so many opportunities? I know for me in ministry, there are so many opportunities to do this and do that and get involved in this and get involved in that. And and I think we ought to do lots of things. And I think we ought to be busy uh, in our Father's work. And I'm going to talk about that here in a minute. But it's also good for us to sometimes clarify exactly what it is that we are supposed to be doing. And the way that you do that is you ask yourself, "What am I supposed to be doing? What does God want me to be doing?" Right now, that I cannot do later. See, Nehemiah understood this is my priority. I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. What is the great work that God would have for you to do? What is the great thing that you, that only you can do and only you can do at this moment in your life? I'm talking to you, mothers. I'm talking to you, homeschooling mothers. Only you can be a keeper at home. Only you can raise your children. Only you can educate your children. And oftentimes, mothers get so distracted with this and with that, they get so distracted with so many things that they can be accomplishing in life that they forget that they've got a priority, which is to raise those children and educate those children. And let me remind you, ladies, that you only get to raise those children once. You only get to do it one time. That is, it's the only person that can raise those children. I'm talking about homeschooling mothers and the vast majority of ladies in our church homeschool. I understand not everyone does and not everybody has the opportunity to and that's okay. We're not mad at you or upset with you if that's not the case. But I do want to speak to you ladies who do have the opportunity to homeschool. You're the only one that can educate your children. You're the only one that can raise them at this time. You have been uh, brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. And you've got to decide that you're not going to allow yourself to be distracted. You've got to get this mindset of Nehemiah that says, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. I'm talking to a homeschooled mother. when need to educate her children. I'm talking about to a hardworking father. Hardworking dads who are prioritizing their jobs over their families. Prioritizing their jobs over their spiritual life working on Sundays when they should be in the house of God with their families, leading their families spiritually. Working on, on uh, uh, all week long, and look, I believe in hard work, and I think we ought to work hard, but you need to understand what your priorities are. You need to understand what it is that only you can do, and you need to get this clarity in your mind, what am I supposed to be doing right now in this season of my life, and then decide to everything else, whether it's good or bad, I'm doing a great work, I cannot come down. I'm talking to young couples this morning that have no children. You know, it's interesting to me because in the last 13 years of ministry, what I have learned is that much of the dissatisfaction in life comes with people trying to live outside of the season of life that they find themselves in. I see young couples trying to run around like they were still single. I see couples with babies trying to run around like they have no children. I, 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 I see individuals who are trying to get out of the season of life that they're in. Hey, let me let you in know a little secret for happiness and contentment in life. Embrace the season you find yourself in. Having children is hard. Having babies are hard. It's a difficult season of life. I understand that. But you only get to do it one time. Why not just embrace it? Why not just enjoy it? Why not just enjoy the, the diaper changes and, and enjoy the, the, the getting up uh, uh, in the middle of the night? You say, oh, it's so frustrating. It's so hard. And let me tell you something. One day you'll miss it. So you young couples, you, you have no children? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that when a young man gets married... In in the Old Testament, and obviously we don't practice this today, this was part of the Old Testament system, but in the Old Testament, when a young man got married, he was supposed to not start any business, he was supposed to not go off to war, he was supposed to not do anything but uh, take a year to comfort his wife. Now, he was supposed to work, of course, during that time, but the idea is that he didn't take on any new uh, endeavor. He didn't take on any new adventure. And we learn a principle there, that when you're newly married, you ought to focus on your marriage. Hey, young man, you got married? Don't run around like you're some single guy. You're not a single guy anymore. Hey, young lady, you're not a single lady anymore. You're a married woman. Your priority ought to be your marriage. How about you couples with children? Running around like you don't have a baby. I'm all for grandma and grandpa babysitting from time to time and, and giving you a date night but they're not, you're not co-parenting with grandma and grandpa. God didn't give those children to grandma and grandpa. God gave those children to you. You got to embrace the time you have with those kids God gave them to you. I'm talking to teen boys. We have this tendency in our church or in churches like ours, because of the homeschooling, where young men turn 16 and 17 years old, and they think you know it's time to go work 40 hours a week somewhere. I remember when I was a young man, my pastor, Pastor Nichols, would, would tell us, he, he was against that. And he would tell us, look, you only get to be a teenager one time. You have the rest of your life to work. Grab, grab any man in this, in, this, in this room. Grab any man in this room who has a, a wife and children. Ask them what you spend the week doing. You know what they'll tell you? I worked. You have your whole life to work. You only have your teen years now. And, and, and you ought not be forsaking your education, by the way, homeschooling mom. You ought not be allowing your children to be forsaking their education so they can go work 40 hours a week when they're 15 and 16 and 17 years old. That's not the season of life they find themselves in. They're, don't rob that from them. This is a time when they ought to be getting their education and then enjoying their teen years. Hey, by the way, it's the last years they have with their family. I'm just telling you, high-performance individuals realize what it is that I'm supposed to be doing right now. What should I be doing right now? I'll tell you this. 16-year-old boys don't need to be working 40 hours a week right now. 26-year-old men and 36-year-old men need to be working 40, 50, 60 hours a week. How about teen girls? We get this idea in churches like ours that women aren't supposed to work, and I believe that. So then we get this idea, well, they turn 18 and 19 years old, and they'll just sit around at home doing nothing until uh, someone marries them. Well, you didn't get that from the Bible. Show me that in Proverbs 31. You say, what should a teenage girl do if she's done with high school and she's not married yet? She ought to be working. I'm not saying working at a secular job. She ought to be working at home. Isn't she going to be a keeper at home? Then she should be working at home. She should be learning how to manage a home. She should be learning how to uh, cook meals and how to uh, help with children and take. A, I, look, I'm just saying you need to figure out what you're supposed to be doing right now, and do it. I'm talking to senior saints. Senior saints. I've spoken to several senior saints. We have lots of godly senior saints in our church, and praise God for them. You know, but hey, senior saint, don't raise your grandkids, but invest in them. Don't raise your grandkids. That's not your job. And obviously, if, 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 if your ch- you know, son or daughter passed away or something like that, I'm not talking about that. But you ought to be investing in the spiritual life of your grandchildren. If you're uh, retired and you say, all I have is time, great. Use that time for the glory of God. The Bible says that the elder women ought to invest in the lives of the younger women. Look around and you can look at a whole lot of ladies and men who are doing everything in their power to keep their head above water and they're overwhelmed with all sorts of things and maybe you are underwhelmed with all the things you don't have to do. Why not invest some of that time in someone else? At the very least, volunteer at church. I'm talking about full-time ministry workers. Look, I'm preaching to myself. And and any other pastor might be listening to the sermon. I'm talking to our staff and any other staff that might be listening to the sermon. Hey, if you've given your life to full-time ministry, don't get distracted with hobbies. Don't get distracted with the stock market. Don't get distracted with doing all sorts of other things that want to take away your focus from what it is that God has called you to do. We need to get back to the place in life when we say, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. That's a good opportunity. It might be a good opportunity. But you don't have to say yes to every opportunity. You don't have to say yes to every distraction. You don't have to say yes to every little thing that comes across your way. You got to get a focus and decide what is the one thing that I can do right now that only I can do and that that only I can do right now. I'm saying, Christian, you got to be consistent to church in the new year. Whatever it is that's keeping you from showing up to church on Sunday morning, or showing up to church on Sunday night, or showing up to church on Wednesday night, you ought to say no. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Whatever's keeping you from reading your Bible in 2024, whatever's keeping you from prayer time in 2024, whatever's keeping you from soul winning in 2024, whatever's keeping look, I'm just saying you ought to decide what is it that God would have me to do today. What is it that God would have me to do right now? What is it that only I can do and only I can do at this time and do that? Like Nehemiah say, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Thanks for the invitation. I'm doing a great work, though. I cannot come down. Go to Philippians chapter 3, if you would. Philippians chapter 3 in the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. I know these are verses we often see during this time of year, but they're good verses and it's good to see them. The high performance principle of priority. You got to decide, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? And you ought to figure out, look, you ought to spend the, the day, you ought to spend the rest of today day until 7 p.m. because then you ought to be in church. You ought to spend the rest of the day figuring out, what am I supposed to do? Not just what am I supposed to do, what am I supposed to do in 2024? What is it that only I can do and only I can do and it can only be done in 2024? Paul said in Philippians 3 and verse 13, again, Paul, another high-performance individual, Someone who accomplished much with this life. Here's what he said. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Why don't you notice this? Notice what he says. I love this little phrase. He says, but this one thing I do. He didn't say these 12 things I dabble in. This was a man who was focused. He understood what he was supposed to do. He said, this one thing I do for getting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark, towards the goal, towards the focus for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I ask you again, what is the one thing that only you can do and only you can do at this time in your life and that you cannot do later? What is the one thing that if you put off now, you cannot do later? And this is why I think it's so important to talk about children because you can only raise your children now. The one thing you cannot do later. Let me ask it this way. What is the one thing that if you fail at, what is the one thing that if you fail at, you will regret for the rest of your life? We need to get clarity in regards to what it is that God has called us to do and begin to do it. And like the Apostle Paul says, this one thing I do, this is the one thing that God has called me to do. This is the one thing I'm going to focus on. Don't ask what you can do. Ask what you should do. What should you be doing? What's your priority? Look, I'm just telling you, if you figured out your priorities the effectiveness of your life would change. The contentment of your life would change. And you would understand what it is that I am supposed to do. This one thing I do. My wife and I have had this conversation many times. Sometimes I look around at my house, and I see a house that is falling apart. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure your house is maybe the same way, I don't know. I look at things and I think, man, that needs to be fixed. That needs to be replaced. That needs to be remodeled. That needs to be changed. You say, why don't you do it, pastor? Well, you know, one of the reasons is that I don't have the money to. But don't misunderstand me. I didn't say I don't have money. I'm not asking for a raise. We've just decided to spend our money somewhere else. See, my wife and I, and when I say my wife and I, and it's my wife who does it, I finance it. You know, we homeschool our children. That costs us money. You, you know that? We educate. We pay to educate our children twice. The government takes taxes to supposedly pay our cho- educate our children, but we don't send them to that public school mess. We pay the government, and then we spend money to purchase curriculum and to homeschool and educate our children at home. Not only that, but then we do other things. We're just kind of crazy that way. We have our kids in music classes. We pay for that. Nobody pays. We pay for that out of our pocket. We have our kids in... I have my sons, and we have them in in, in Muay Thai. So why do you have them in Muay Thai? Because I want them to have outside activities, because I want them to do things that'll use up their energy and, and they'll learn self-defense and, and, and gain some some confidence and things we, we, we want to do. Now look here's here's all I'm telling you. I, I could I could spend my money on fixing up my house. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I could have this little trendy house and this cute little house and, 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 and spend the time here and spend the time there. But we've just decided that a house is just a tool that God has given us to do what He's actually called us to do, which is to raise those six children He gave us. Amen. So we'd rather spend our, cho- our time and our money and our energy investing in our children because we can remodel a house later. We can live in a nicer neighborhood later. We could drive a nicer vehicle than the, the one we currently drive later, but we can't raise those kids later. We can't invest into their, uh, into their education later. And I'm just telling you that you've got to decide what is it that God has called you to do and say, I'm doing a great work. I cannot, I cannot be distracted with that right now. That's something, maybe it's good, maybe it's fine, maybe there's nothing wrong with it. Keep your place there in Philippians chapter 3. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. You're there in Philippians. Go past Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Look, I'm, I'm talking to men who want to go spend hours at the gym after they're married with children like they used to do when they were single. There's a disconnect there, friend. And you say, Pastor, you're picking on me. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to get not wake up 20 years from now with regrets. Not wake up 25 years from now thinking, what was I doing? Why, why did not my children, they, they hate me. I've, I've, I've seen grown men pay for classes for themselves while their children said, look, I'm going to pay for classes for my kids. Be, being in karate, that's done for me. I need to sign up for Kovar. This season of life has been given to me to invest in my children, to invest in my uh, spouse, and my wife, to invest in this church. I'm just telling you, why don't you figure out what you're supposed to do, what only you can do, what only you can do in this season of your life and stop getting so stinking distracted and say like Nehemiah, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. It's one thing I do. Notice Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, notice these words, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us, notice the analogy here, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. That race that is set before you, that's what God has called you to do. Your race is different than my race. My race involves pastoring Verity Baptist Church. Your race involves something else. But here's what I know. God has given all of us a race to run. This analogy often used throughout the Bible. We saw it in Philippians. I press toward the mark. We're we're running towards that mark. We're running the race that is set before us. But listen to me. Along the line, we sometimes pick up some weights. Now, a weight is the last thing you want when you're running. If you're running in a race and trying to finish the race, you don't need to be dragging along with you some weight. But here, the writer of Hebrews says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And notice, that's not necessarily sinful, because in the next phrase, he says, and the sin." But he says there are some things that weigh you down. There are some sins that stumble you and stop you. And he says we need to set aside those weights and those sins which does so easily beset us. Why? So that I can run the race that God has called me to run. Here's what I'm telling you is you need to figure out what you're supposed to do and don't allow yourself to get distracted from that. Don't feel this pressure. This, playing this comparison game. It, it, it's it's one of the reasons why I just, I hate social media. I'm personally not on social media. The church is on social media. Whatever it's, whatever, it's needed. I don't run it. I have nothing to do with it. Sometimes people have conversations with me on social media, and it's not me. I don't know who it is, but it's not me. <laughs> it's one of these guys. That's why everything's misspelled. <laughs> but the, these, the, these comparison game pressures, you know, l- listen, mom. Don't don't feel this pressure to start some home business. I'm not against home businesses. Home businesses are fine, but don't, don't feel this pressure where you feel like, well, everyone, she's doing it. Become some vlogger. <laughs> I always think it's interesting when people that you got you got three little children and they're like three years old, five years old, six years old. You're gonna you're gonna teach you're gonna teach these lessons about how to raise children for God. Have you raised children for God? <laughs> I'm saying you know. Why don't you raise those kids, marry them off, right? Have some adult children that are serving God. Then let's talk. Then let's talk. Don't feel this pressure to keep up with this and keep up with that and keep, and this person's doing this, that person, and I've got to do it. And if I don't, look, it, it, it's human tendency and human nature to live this type of life and, and succumb to this type of pressure. But why don't you just decide, you know what, I don't care about that. I'm doing a great work. I'm doing what God has called me to do, and I cannot come down. Amen. This one thing I do. Sometimes people tell me, we're doing this and we're doing that and we're going here and we're going there. And I think to myself, where are your children? Where, where are your children? Who's raising your kids? Earlier this year, I was having lunch. Actually, at the Red Hot Preaching Conference, I was having lunch with several pastor friends. And I'm not saying this to, to you know, God bless them. They're, they're all, all, all my pastor friends are in different, we're all in different seasons of life and different things. And some of them have children that are adults and they're, they find themselves in a different season of life than the one I find myself in. But, you know, we were, we were talking and they were talking about how they were doing this and they were doing that. And some of them were taking this and whatever, just doing all sorts of exercising and working out and, and, and learning things and whatever. And I just kind of sat there quietly. And, and, and then the, the, the pastor friend that was sitting next to me, kind of we started talking. I said, man, I just I feel so bad. You know, you guys are all just busy doing X, Y and Z. And I'm just I'm, I just I don't do any of that. I remember he looked at me, he said, well, I wouldn't worry about it if I were you. Just look at your church in comparison to ours. (laughs) And he said it joking, and we laughed, but I think to myself, you know, it's true. God's called me to do this. I I I need to be like Nehemiah, who says, I'm doing a great work, I cannot come down. This one thing I do, I press toward the mark, and you've got to decide in life. you got to decide what is it that you're going to do, and what is it that God has called you to do. Look, there'll be time to do other things. There'll be time. My wife and I, God has blessed us with six children. We find ourselves in a season of life right now that is very uh, new to us. We do not have any babies in our home. Our youngest is five years old. Our oldest is 16. We've got two teen boys in our home. My wife and I do things today that we would have never done when our children were younger. Not that they're sinful, not that they're wrong, just things we wouldn't have done when our children were, things that we certainly wouldn't have done when we had babies in the home. You just got to decide in life what is it that God has called you to do? Go back to Philippians chapter 3. Don't allow yourself to get distracted. You need to figure out what is it that I'm supposed to do? What is it that only I can do? What is it that only I can do at this time in my life? Figure out what that is. And then here's what Paul says in verse 14: I press toward the mark. Don't allow yourself to get distracted. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Go to Ecclesiastes if you actually, I'm sorry, go to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 31. You open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely fall. In the book of Psalms, right after Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 31. I remember years ago, I read a book on parenting by a man named Steve Maxwell. I know some of you will look him up or whatever. I, I, he's, he's a good guy. I don't endorse everything he says, but he's a good guy. I remember he told a story it just really impacted me because before he was married, he was really into what his hobby. He had a very uh, interesting hobby, an expensive hobby. He had this hobby of flying planes. He, planes. He, would, he, he was a pilot, but he did it on the side. It's not what he did for a living. He, it's just something he would do every Saturday. He'd go and spend hours flying planes. It's something that he grew up doing, and he just enjoyed it. It was his hobby. I remember he was telling the story about how he, he'd been married for a little while, and they started having children. He had all these little children at home. His wife never said anything. She had a very meek and quiet spirit. She never said anything. But, but, but he would go leave on Saturday and, and be gone away from home for hours, go off to the airport and, and, and fly this plane that he'd rent and whatever and do these things. And, and he'd be gone from home for hours. Now, wife never said anything to him. But he tells a story how one day driving home late on Saturday, the Holy Spirit of God just began to really work on his heart. He began to wonder, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Have this wife and these precious children at home. You're working all week long and then you're going to spend all day Saturday flying planes. He tells a story of how he had to decide and one day he went to his wife and, and he told her, you know, there's, not, there's nothing wrong with this hobby. It's a hobby I enjoy. It's a hobby I like and we, we can afford to do it, but uh, I've decided to, I, I will not fly planes anymore. I, I won't engage in this hobby anymore till our children are grown, till they're out of the house. So if I just say, he raises his children, they're out of the house, he still hasn't taken them back off. <laughs> I remember hearing another preacher tell a similar story of a hobby that he had that took lots of hours of his time, and this kind of similar thing, just decided, you know, this is not something for my season of life. And, 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 he, and he quoted this little phrase, and I think of it often, and it's this idea that sometimes we just have to say, look, sometimes we have to say no, but sometimes we say no for now. No for now, but not forever. There's lots of things in, in my life and, and my wife, lots of decisions we've made, lots of opportunities we've been given and things we, we, people have told us, well, you can do this or you can do that and you can take part in this and participate in that. And, and we just kind of look at ourselves and say, no for now, not forever, just no for now. Why? Because we're doing something more important right now. We've got a great work and we just cannot allow you to distract us from that. I'm doing a great work, I cannot come down. This one thing I do. That is the principle of priority, the high performance principle of priority. Notice that in Proverbs 31. Notice this virtuous woman. See, oftentimes, here's, here's, here's what the, the, the social media aspect of it is. We all want to get our kudos now. We all want to get the, our pat in the back now. We all want all the thumbs up and all the, wow, you're amazing now. So we got to post all these amazing things we do. Look at this. Look what I did. Look where I'm at. Look what I'm doing. Because we want everyone to be impressed. Now, but here's the problem with that. That lasts for about this long. Proverbs 31, look at this virtuous woman. Verse 27, the Bible says this. She looketh well to the ways of her household. She's a keeper at home, Titus 2.5. And he is not the bread of idleness, not that she's lazy. Her children, notice, her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. You know what would be better than people on social media being impressed with you and how much you're doing and how where you're going and all these things. I can't believe how great you are. You know what would be better is if you raise children for God and for the rest of your life, adult children would rise up and say, my mother was blessed. My mother is blessed. Her children will rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. The gate would be the area of business. Notice this woman did not have to go into business to be praised in business. She raised some kids that went into business and her own works praised her in the gates. So, Mama, I need to ask you, what are you doing? Daddy, I need to ask you. What are you doing? See, that house, that job, that car, those investments. I'm not against it. I have investments. I have retirement account, whatever. All of those are tools to do what God has called us to do. They are not the goal. They are not the end. They are not the end game. The end game is not a fixed up house in a nice neighborhood, in a nice car. That's not the goal. Those are tools to do what God has called you to do. And so many people are so busy working at something that they might get to the end of their lives and realize that was a waste. I just want you to understand this high-performance principle of priority. (laughs) Figure out what you're supposed to do. And like Nehemiah said, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. It's one thing I do. I'd like you to give you a second one you're there in Proverbs, if you would, go to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. If you just flip over past Proverbs into Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Do me a favor, when you get to Ecclesiastes, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we'll leave it and we'll come back to it. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We saw the high performance principle of priority, but I'd like to give you a second principle of high performance life, and it is this, the high performance principle of productivity. Now, you can't get these backwards. First, you need to figure out what is it is that you're supposed to do. And once you've figured out what you're supposed to do, what your priorities are, then you need to work hard at that one thing. This one thing I do, I press toward, I work towards, I put effort towards, that mark. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, you've seen this verse before. I, I, it's a verse that I often read or quote. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Decide what it is you're supposed to do, and then whatever you're supposed to do, do it with thy might. Why? For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. The idea is this. Figure out what only you can do at this time, in this season, with the life that God has given you, and then do that with your might. Here's a sub point for you. Work hard. My wife has a book written by Miss Beverly Hiles. Miss Beverly Hiles is the pastor's wife at First Baptist Church of Hammond. Jack Hiles' wife, Pastor Jack Hiles' wife. she has a book written to pastors' wives, which my wife read years and years ago. I remember when my wife was reading it, she was telling me about the book and she said one one thing that Miss Beverly Hiles and by the way, th- these are high achieving individuals, Dr. Jack Hiles and Ms. Beverly Hiles in their ministry. So one thing that she would often tell herself is as she would get out of bed and as her feet would hit the floor, she would tell herself, hit the ground running, hit the ground running. And my wife shared that with me, and, and this is something that we often say to, we think about and, and consider, hit the ground running. I'm not sure exactly where that phrase came from. I think it came from the military. I think it has to do with... Uh, with, with soldiers who would parachute into battle. And the idea is that as they were parachuting down into battle, they didn't have time to, 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 to land and, and get situated. They had to hit the ground running. Once they hit the ground, they needed to start running and, and get engaged. And I would remind you that we are in a spiritual battle. We need to hit the ground running. And, and let me say this, activity is often confused with productivity. I'm not talking about being busy all day long. You can be busy all day long doing a whole lot of nothing. You can be busy all day long doing a whole lot of worthless things. But you ought to work hard, be productive at the thing you're supposed to do, your priority. You need to work hard. You need to hit the ground running. You need to decide, you know, whatsoever my hand finds it to do, Now I'm going to be very careful about what my hand finds it to do. I'm going to make sure that what my hand finds to do is not just any old thing, any old opportunity, anything that comes across my way. I'm going to be very focused on what it is that God has called me to do. But once I decide, once I understand, once I know this is what I must do, this is what only I can do, this is what only I can do at this time in my life, once you decide that whatsoever thy hand finds it to do, do it with thy mind. Work and work hard. Look, you ought to work every day. You ought to work hard every day. You men need to get up every day and work and work hard. You ladies say, well, I'm a stay at home mom. Praise God for it. You don't go to a secular job, but you ought to work every day. You ought to get up and work and work and work. Figure out what God has called you to do. You want to be a high-performance uh, uh, individual. You want to have a high-performance life. You need to get the principle of priority. You need to match it up to the principle of productivity. You need to just decide that your life will be characterized not by laziness, not by slothfulness, not by sleeping in, not by wasting time, not by idleness, but by this word, work. Amen. Work for the night is coming. Work through the sunny noon. Fill brightest hours with labor. Rest comes sure and soon. Give every flying minute something to keep in store. Work for the night is coming when man works no more. You and I need to just work. We need to just figure out what God has called us to do and then we need to just do it. The principle of priority and the principle of productivity. Go to Mark chapter 3 if you would. Mark chapter 3, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. Mark chapter 3. You got to hit the ground running like Miss Beverly Hiles said. By the way, that was a lady. That was a wife and a mother. Highly productive, highly effective. When your feet hit the floor tomorrow morning, hit the ground running, be about your father's business. The high-performance principle of productivity is this, work hard, work hard. Then there's another part to that. It's this, every day. Work hard every day. It's interesting to me because in in Mark chapter 3, we have this busy, and the the book of Mark is like this. It's a busy book. It's a fast-moving, fast-action book. You, You see this word straight away a lot, this word straight away a lot throughout the book of Mark. In Mark chapter 3, we, we get this little synopsis into just a day in the life of Christ. I want you to notice, that it's interesting to me. I won't read the whole chapter just for sake of time, but I, I want you to notice that in verses 1 through 6, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath day, and the Pharisees take counsel with the Herodians to kill him. Then in verse 7 and 8, Jesus withdraws with his disciples, but a great multitude followed. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 7. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Edomia, and from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon. Notice these words, a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. Then in verses 9 and 10, Jesus heals many the Bible says. And they press upon him. Look at verse 9. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. And he had healed, uh, excuse me, verse 10, for he had healed many insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. Verses 11 to 12, Jesus cast out unclean spirits. Verses 13 through 19, Jesus goes up to a mountain and ordains the 12 apostles. And then in verses 19, 19 through 20, Jesus goes to a house and the multitude follows him so that uh, they could not even so much as eat bread. You can't even have a lunch. They're so busy. Look at verse 19. And Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they that were into an, uh, uh, and they went into a an house. And the multitude coming together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. And then I want you to notice verse 21. And when his friends heard of it, this is interesting to me, when his friends, Jesus' friends, who these people are, I don't know. When his friends heard of it, think about this. This is one day in the life of Christ, casting out, He's healing a man on the Sabbath day. They're trying to kill him. He disappears within their midst. He withdraws himself, and great multitudes followed him. They they come, so he heals many. They press upon him. He casts out spirits. He goes up to a mountain. He ordains the twelve. He comes back down. The multitudes are there. He can't even have lunch. They can't even eat bread because they're so busy. And then the Bible tells us in verse 21, And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. They said, he's crazy. I want you to notice that Jesus was about his father's work. He wasn't busy doing a bunch of little things, but he was busy doing the one thing that God had called him to do. Pastor Clarence Sexton is a pastor of an independent fundamental Baptist church in Powell, Tennessee. He actually passed away just a couple weeks ago. He was an old IFBA, and I'm sure someone's gonna tell me something bad about him or whatever. I don't care. But he he, he was a good man. I mean, as far as I know, he is faithful to his wife and his family. And big ministry, effective ministry. Just passed away just a couple weeks ago. My wife and I went to the reason I'm him. Up, my wife and I went to his Bible college for a little while when we were before we had kids. And I remember Clarence Sexton telling this story. Somebody asked him about. The things he does and how he accomplishes much and i remember he he told a story and i just it's always resonated with me he he said early in ministry he he told his wife he looked at his wife and he says this is something a conversation that he and his wife would have often they would look at each other and say we don't have one day to waste we don't have one day to waste and you know that's true of him but it's true of you and it's true of me we don't have one day to waste the, 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 the high performance principle of productivity tells us this, that we must hit the ground running and we don't have one day to waste. We don't have one day to waste. Don't have one day to give to the devil. Don't have one day to give to the flesh. We don't have one day to, to, to waste. Our life is but a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. The high performance principle of priority the high-performance principle of productivity. you got to work hard, hit the ground running, and you have to do it every day. We don't have one day. Not one day to waste. I'd like to give you the third one this morning. We'll finish up. If you're there in Ecclesiastes, or if you're there in Ecclesiastes, go to Isaiah if you would. Isaiah 28. You've seen these verses before, but I want you to see them again. Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. I don't know if this is a help to you, but it's, it's helping me. Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Isaiah 28. The high performance principle of priority, the high performance principle of productivity, and then thirdly this morning, the high performance principle of patterns. The high performance principle of patterns. Consistency is one of the most important things in life. It's actually how we gain traction in life, how we begin to accomplish things and do things is through this word consistency Isaiah 28 and verse 10 I love these verses because they speak to this Isaiah 28 and verse 10 and this is talking about spiritual growth but we could apply it to anything Isaiah 28 verse 10 the Bible says this for precept must be upon precept precept upon precept line upon line line upon line notice these words I love these words here a little there a little it's repeated again in verse 13. But the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Notice the word, here a little, there a little. The truth is this, that anyone who has accomplished anything, I'm saying good, bad, worldly, spiritual, whatever. If there's anyone who's acquired a lot of knowledge, if there's anyone who's developed a lot of skills, if there's anyone that has accomplished a lot in their career, or their trade, or their business, if, there, if there's anyone that has had has success raising their children or success in their marriage, if there's anyone that has accumulated a lot of wealth, let me tell you, it happened line upon line. Precept upon precept. Just here a little, and there a little. Here a little, there a little. See, it's, it's interesting to me how we get this idea, and this is what we're going to do, right? This is what the average American's going to do January 1st. You're going to get up and work out. And then you might do it again on Wednesday, and you might do it again on Friday, but for the vast majority of individuals, that'll be the end of it. And then this time next year, you'll be making the same goal. <laughs> but the point is this, that nothing is gained with a one-time event. People have marriage problems. They show up to church like, we came to church. Is it going to fix our problems? No. No. it's not. Now, if you come Sunday night, and you come Wednesday night, and you come Sunday morning, and you come Sunday night, and you come Wednesday night, and Sunday morning, and Sunday night, and Wednesday night for weeks and weeks and months and months and years and years, and you listen and you learn and you apply and you study. It'll change your life. But showing up one service isn't going to do anything for you. You hang on a treadmill one time isn't going to do anything for you. Putting money in a savings account one time isn't going to do anything for you. Anything that is ever accomplished is done through consistency. Line upon line. Here a little, there a little. That's why at Verity Baptist Church, we go line upon line. Here a little, there a little. Through the Bible. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Because there's an accumulative production. So the positive effects of consistency are this. And let, let me just explain this to you. I've taught this before, but... Let me just remind you, you know, the reason we don't get excited about consistency is because there is no immediate benefit to any single installment. Isn't that true? That's why we don't get excited about consistency, because you're going to get up on Monday and work out for 15 minutes and then spend 30 minutes in front of a mirror. (laughs) I think I'm getting bigger. No, you're not. There is no immediate benefit to any single installment of time into any particular activity all on its own. But you know why you should get excited about consistency? Because there is, however, a cumulative value to investing small amounts of time into specific activities over a long period of time. By the way, the the same is true. This is just a law of life. The same is true in a negative way. Why we don't worry about inconsistency is because there is no immediate consequence to missing any single installment of time in any activity all on its own. That's why some of you skip Sunday night church so flippantly. Because you miss church one Sunday morning, you miss church one Wednesday night, and you said, Nothing happened. Everything's fine. And you're right. There is no immediate consequence to missing any single installment of time into any activity all on its own. There is, however, an accumulative consequence to neglecting small amounts of time. Are you listening to what I'm saying? There's an accumulative consequence to neglecting small amounts of time in your church attendance, in your Bible reading, with your family, in your marriage, with your children, regarding your health. There is an accumulative consequence to neglecting small amounts of time into any certain activity over a long period of time. So you know what high-performance individuals do? They develop habits. They develop patterns. See, I want you to have goals, and I hope you have goals. And if you don't have any goals, let me give you a goal. Nine chapters a day, that's a goal. But you know, more than having goals, you know what I want you to have is to develop patterns in your life. Develop patterns of just things you do on a regular basis, repetition why? Because consistency helps us gain traction. Repetition helps us gain momentum. So here's a clarifying question for you. What one thing could you do that if you did repeatedly over time, would have the biggest impact on your life, your marriage, your children, your health, your finances. Because instead of having some big goal, why don't you just decide, I want to develop a pattern. Here's a pattern, I read the Bible every day. Here's a pattern, I go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Here's a pattern, I pray every day. Here's a pattern, I'm a weekly soul winner. Here, here, here's a pattern, I have dinner with my family every night, here, I, I, don't know, I don't know what it is here's a pattern, I, I exercise regularly uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, whatever I, just decide, why don't you decide what is it that you're supposed to do because I'm here to tell you something highly effective people, high performance individuals they don't do some major thing one time, they develop patterns in life where they do the same thing every day, over and over and over again Go to Luke chapter 4. we got to finish this up. Luke chapter 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 4. Consistency is how we gain traction. Repetition is how we gain momentum. The power of consistency lies in its compounding value over time. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, the Bible says this, and he came to Nazareth. This is Jesus where he had been brought up. I want you to notice this, what the Bible says about Jesus. And as his custom was, the word custom means habitual pattern, habitual practice. There were some things that Jesus just did in life on a regular basis. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for it to read. It was just a custom. It was just something he did. Jesus, the greatest figure of world history, Was a man of patterns. I think we could argue that next to Jesus, the most effective, influential individual in world history is the Apostle Paul. Notice what the Bible says about Paul in the book of Acts, Acts 17. You're there in Luke, go past John into the book of Acts, Acts 17. Please listen to me. You will be what you are becoming. You will be what you are becoming. You are what you repeatedly do. If you don't like what you are, then change it. If you don't like what the future holds for you, then change it. You and I have the wonderful privilege today to begin a new year next year and to begin to change who we are. So how do I do it? Figure out what you're supposed to do, priorities. Put all your effort into that one thing, productivity and develop patterns. Acts 17, verse 2. And Paul, arguably the second most effective individual to ever live. And Paul, notice his words, as his manner was. You know what the word manner means? Pattern. Prevailing custom, habit. As his manner was, went in unto them three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. It's interesting to me that the Bible highlights the fact that Jesus had Habits and patterns of his life, and so did Paul. What one thing could you do? What one thing should you do that only you can do in this season of life that if done repeatedly would bring the biggest impact to your life? And maybe people on social media aren't going to say, wow, you're amazing, you're the greatest. But at the end of your life, people will say, there's a life that made an impact. And isn't the end of a thing better than the beginning? I always think it's funny when people start new things and they tell everybody. Why don't you do it? And then tell us. Acts 20, verse 24. Acts 20, verse 24. We'll finish up right here. Acts twenty twenty-four. Here's what Paul said. But none of these things move me. You know, that sounds sounds to me like Nehemiah saying, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Look, in life, in life, sometimes you and I just need to say no. Sometimes we need to just say no. And sometimes we need to say no for now, but not forever. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. That's what Nehemiah said. This one thing I do. That's what Paul said. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might, notice these words, here's the goal, finish my course. Run the race that is set before me. And notice these words, with joy. And the ministry which I have received the Lord Jesus testify the gospel of the grace of God. You know what high-performance individuals do? They get to the end of their lives, and they say, I didn't do it all, but I did what I was supposed to do. Amen. And that's a life worth living. let our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And Lord, I realize we are all running different races. We are all doing different things. But Lord, help us to be mindful of what it is that we're supposed to do. There are some things that you've given me to do that only I can do and only I can do at this point in my life. But that's true of every individual here. Every person here has something that they're supposed to do and only they can do and only they can do at this point in their life. Help us to figure out what that is. Help us to get prioritized. we am not against doing other things at other times and having fun. But when the things we're doing is distracting us from what we are called to do, there's a problem. Lord, I pray you'd help us to have priorities, to be productive, to develop patterns, that we might all get to the end of our lives and say, I finished my course with joy. We love you. We thank you for this opportunity to begin a new year tomorrow. Your mercies are new every day. Great is thy faithfulness. Father, I pray you'd help us. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Matt come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to remind you a couple of things before we go. First of all, don't forget that we've got some sign-up sheets for the work days in the main four.